Our hearts are heavy this morning uh, as our church family has been uh, affected with the loss of two of our church men. And I ask you to pray with me this morning for just a moment with the Wampler family and with the Francis family. And uh, you can see in the paper and hear about at our website what all the arrangements are and so on. But I just want us to lift up these family members. Would you do that with me? Heavenly Father, when your people gather together, when one of us hurts, it's necessary that all of us respond to that. And Lord, I just ask you to watch over these, uh, these two families in particular that are going through, uh, they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's not much of a shadow, it's a, quite a reality. And so Lord, just give them strength, help their faith, uh, enable them to, to go through these next few days and months on beyond uh, with you by their side, and with the confidence we have, the everyday hope we have. Of, of a life together with you in heaven. And I thank you for both of these men, the influence they had on our families. And Lord, we just, uh, we just ask that you would circle the wagons here and let us be a part of that as we think of this family. And remember to pray for them all during this week, Lord. We know you do all things well. And when our hearts are heavy and we don't understand things sometimes, Lord, we lift up our eyes to you in faith, simple, childlike faith. And know that you'll walk us through the valley. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. (coughs) Last year the Associated Press carried a story about one person's very unusual war against sin. At a public library in Oregon, library workers discovered at least a dozen books in which entire pages had been blanked out by someone with a generous supply of white-out correction fluid. The article went on to say, this unknown self-appointed censor painted over all of the naughty phrases and sexually explicit passages in these books. The librarian was quoted as saying, they've marked everything from romance novels to bestsellers. Now, of course, uh, conducting a war, I guess, on the sin with white-out is probably not what God has called us to do and what he had in mind. But scripture does tell us that we are to hate what is evil and what is unholy and to love what is pure and what is holy. Now, of course, that's going to be a challenge. But if you have your Bibles as we go through this series on everyday hope, I want to take you to again to 1 Peter. This is our our textbook for this series. And I want to focus on personal holiness. Now think about that a minute because we all have some form of it. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, then there's something that should be in our our being and what we are made of that leans towards holiness. The idea of being holy is, is, is relatively simple. What it means is that when we became a Christian, we, be, we were set apart by God for a different kind of life, different kind of responses. The response that we as Christians have to to death and heartache is different from the world's because the world doesn't have everyday hope like we do. And so this is very, very important 
very important issue as we deal with not just this series, but what it means to live holy lives in such an unholy, ungodly world right now. Our focus is on Peter's text here in his writings. And here we're going to find, and by the way, we do know a little bit about holiness because we sing the song. What is it? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You know, we're familiar with that. But when it comes to speaking about holiness for our own lives, well, it's a little different. I mean, you've heard somebody say, well, they're holier than thou. Now, we know what we they know mean, what they by, mean that. by that. That means that, that they're, means kind, of they're kind of phony and, they, and they're, they're, seen, they're by seen by someone as being hypocritical, as being hypocritical in, their in their lifestyle. In fact, Jesus, in fact, Jesus himself, himself spoke against, against this kind of, of thinking and he used the scribes and Pharisees as his illustrations because they were really full of themselves, not much holiness, but themselves. But God calls you and me to a, a life of authentic holiness or separateness or distinctiveness. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, holiness is the architectural blueprint upon which God builds his living temple. Now, it's certainly no secret that in the world we live in, there's a great need for Christian men and women, young and old, to understand how to live a holy life. And so from 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to show you three steps today. And we're going to begin with verse 13. If you want to embrace an authentic life of holiness, you must first be prepared. Therefore, as Peter writes, prepare your minds for action. In other words, you and I are to take the initiative. We have something we have to kind of start here. If you have a life or want to have a life of holiness, then you have to decide that that's going to be important to you. Behavioral scientists have discovered that human behavior is determined to a great extent by the subconscious mind. Have you ever heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out? Well, that's kind of what they're saying when they talk about that. Holy living begins with our thinking. Our minds have got to be holy before our behavior is ever going to be holy. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as you think in your heart, as a man thinks within himself... So he is. The Apostle Paul gives this reminder here in Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, back to the thinking again. And then you'll be able to test and prove what God's perfect will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Philippians 4.8, Paul's even more specific as he instructs us to give attention to these things. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about those things. Authentic holiness begins with the proper preparation of our minds. And by the way, I hope that when you come to church on Sunday, that you have prepared your mind to worship. You know, to who we're focusing all of our attention on here this morning. And, and you, you've come here to, to focus your minds on Scripture, which is the rule book, the handbook, the owner's manual of the human heart. Authentic holiness begins in that area. Verse 13 tells us then how to prepare your minds for action. 
And they say you got to be self-controlled if this is what you want to do. Now, now this word is also translated sober, which is kind of interesting. Sober, if you're a sober person, you're avoiding strong wine or drink of any kind. And just as our bodies should be under the, not be under the negative influence of chemical substances, neither should our minds be controlled or influenced by negative thoughts, unbiblical ideas, or worldly perspectives. Our thinking must be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, if you're truly self-controlled, in fact, you, you're only truly self-controlled, hear me, only if you are God-controlled. That's where it begins. But that's not all. Peter also tells us the key to living this way, this mindset of holiness, is that we set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, part of the preparation for holy living is to live this life we're talking about now in the series of everyday hope. And we sometimes really struggle in this area. I know I do. I mean, I, I, I read too much. I, 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 I think about the things going on around us in our culture, and, and I, it doesn't give me a lot of hope and confidence much. You know, I get discouraged. The older I get, I, I think that is the case. But a part of being able to have a sense of a perspective is to avoid the negative, to recognize that pessimistic and judgmental and fatalistic mindsets and so on, that should not be a part of the Christians, uh, how do they call it, armor. You know, the Bible talks about the spiritual armor we have. Well, those kind of things aren't going to protect you from much. We should be enjoying the life of hope every single moment, even when our circumstances are sad. Or we grieve. By the way, did you know that the word hope is a uniquely Christian word? In the ancient world, there was so much despair and so much misery, and people gave very little thought to hopeless or hopeful perspective. Even wishful thinking was all they had. But all that changed one day on a cross in a place called Calvary, and through faith in Christ Jesus. We now have a foundation to rest our hope, our everyday hope, and that victory is assured. Now, that's the theme of this series and the focus of Peter's teaching in this passage. And he tells us to base our hope every single day on the grace given you when Jesus Christ was revealed. Now, what an amazing promise this is for us and one we need to really, really meditate on. There's coming a day when Jesus will be revealed in fullness and power, and he shall reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we should be living every day with that particular anticipation, that hope. Colossians 3 verse 1 reminds us, Since then you, you've been raised with Christ, then set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on what? earthly things. Now keep in mind, Peter's writing to suffering, persecuted people. He's asking them to be filled with hope in spite of their external circumstances. Very few of us have, been, have suffered for our faith to the point that we're, we shed our blood or have been put in prison like so many have done over the, over the centuries. What was true back then is true today. Mere religious activity 
doesn't help you much when you're suffering, when you're hurting. But the hope that Jesus offers us, that lifts us in times of hardship. It enables us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. As one writer put it, life with Christ is an endless hope, but without him, life is a hopeless end. So that's step one. You've got to prepare. All right. Now, here's step two. We're called to be obedient. We're called to be obedient. Verse 14. As obedient children, then, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see, according to the Bible, a life of holiness is dependent on a lifestyle of active obedience. Peter instructs us to be just like like children. Children that do what they're told to do by their parents. And this agrees with the warning the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says we're not supposed to be children of disobedience. Obedience forms the foundation of your Christian lifestyle. And according to Christ himself, if we're to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves. Mark chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, if anybody's going to follow Jesus... He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, then he's the one who actually loves me. He's the one who's showing his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his letter, Peter's warning us not to conform to our former desires and lifestyles as we once did when we lived in ignorance of sin. The word conform that he's using here it really presents a picture of somebody who's superficial. They're, they're kind of shallow. You know, have you ever met somebody that's an inch deep and a mile wide? You know, it doesn't take you long to say, there's not, not really not a lot of substance here. But that's what he's referring to here. Someone whose values are constantly changing the very same way fashions and clothing change all the time. Some one season to the next, they're different. And, and that's not what is to characterize us as Christians. Rather, we're called to be like Jesus, the solid rock of our salvation, who consistently was, according to Hebrew 13, the same yesterday, the same today, the same forever. There's no shifting shadows of understanding here where Jesus is concerned because he's solid. He's, he is focused. He is the real deal. And when we obey him, we will not be conforming to our natural-born perspectives and lusts and appetites which always kind of hang around in there the sinful nature the scripture calls it and we all brought that with us by the way i know you think you can leave it in the parking lot but you know we've got men that are charged with finding it and bringing it in here (laughs) don't be leaving laying around out there no we tend to think that maybe we don't have to have this kind of reminder but it is indeed true The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you and I don't do what we really want to do. So what's the solution to that? Well, step number three. We are called to be holy. Not holier than thou. No, no, no. We are called to be different, distinctive, unique. We're called to to listen to a different voice. 
not the voice of this world. We look at everything through a different set of eyes, not our eyes. How does God see it? How does Jesus see these things? What does Scripture tell us about the perspective we're supposed to have as we go through the trials and challenges and problems of life? But the issue is, how do we mere humans accomplish this? Well, there's only one that can help us, and thank goodness he does. The only person who's already completely holy and Isaiah 6.3 tells us that the angels in heaven constantly proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Our Lord, our God is totally and completely unique and set apart from everything that's unholy. He alone is the true source of holiness. And if you and I are ever going to be holy, we've got to recognize that source, embrace that source, and then know him and love him and obey him and walk every day in fellowship with him. The essence of true holiness consists of conforming uh, to the nature and will of God, not conforming to the culture in which we live, not conforming to our own sinful desires. This is why Peter quotes directly from the Old Testament book of Leviticus when he says, but just as he who called you is holy... So, you be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're children of God. But what does it mean for us sinful humans to pull this off? How can we recognize holiness in a life? I mean, would you know it if you saw it? Would you recognize it? How do you acquire and apply God's holiness? All right, well, listen, because this, this, is, this is so important. The Hebrew word for holy used in the, New, or the Old Testament means distinctive. This means you're separated from things that are not holy intentionally. They'll just accidentally sneak up on you. You don't accidentally become holy. It's a decision. The Hebrew word is very specific here. And the Greek word Peter uses also in the New Testament means to honestly be, be without sin. Now, that's a tough one. Be without sin. Be blameless. Nope. In other words, nobody can put their finger, point their finger at you and say, you did this or you said that or I've watched you do. You know, you can't do that. To be blameless is be totally free from those kinds of things. Removed from uncleanness. And when you look at that list, it's no wonder we get intimidated. We get kind of, we almost feel a bit defeated before we get started, because everybody here, when you look in the mirror, you know what you're dealing with. And did you know that? How many of you go to the mirror to get ready, but you, you, you do this because you really don't want to see yourself? You know? Now, I've had those moments. You know, sometimes you get up in the morning, well, you ain't ready for the day. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I've never understood that, but it happens. We, we, something happens overnight. I don't know what it is. You go to bed, ah, you're ready to sleep, and then you wake up, you're cranky and grumpy, you know? And I'm only talking about maybe 10 or 12 of you, you know? And when you bring that with you into the day, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. This, this is a hard thing to do. Now, here, now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to brace yourself. If you're going to be holy, you're going to have to be. I'm going to have to be. We're all going to have to learn to be just like God. That's what he's saying here. That's exactly what he's teaching. 
We are to be holy in all that we do. We become more and more and more like our Lord and Savior every single day. And to live as He lived, His holiness should increasingly replace our natural character. The real us, you know. The one that maybe not everybody sees. Our lusts and appetites. And over time, what happens? Here's what happens. Over time, a spiritual transformation will occur that will replace our natural character of sin with Christ's supernatural character of holiness. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We don't get to go that far. But we are far, far more down the road towards holiness than we are the other road. And when our lives communicate the holiness of God, then we'll not need to announce it to anybody. We won't have to have, be a card-carrying holy person. You know, We won't have to fake it. You don't have to pull it out of your hat. Dwight L. Moody said it really well. He said, it's a great deal better to live a holy life than to just talk about it. He said, lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. You don't have to advertise it. It's going to be evident. And you do you not know that. You know when you've been in the presence of someone that they and the Lord are pretty tight. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to control our attitudes and our habits, the more his presence and power will shine in our lives. But if we try it on our own, we're always going to fail. But if you follow Jesus Christ, Lord of our lives, and allow his spirit to kind of have his way with us, to shine through our personalities, our intellects, our very being, then we will become conduits for the holiness of God. And as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, the purpose of it is not so that they'll praise your good deeds because you're so good, but because they're going to look at you and me. I know our families will. They say, we know you ain't possible. You can't pull this off by yourself. It's got to come from someplace else. Now, beginning with verse 17, he offers this closing challenge to us. And I'm going to read right through this. There's a few verses here, and it'll be on the screen. But I just want you to listen as Peter kind of summarizes some of what we've been saying. Okay? Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But rather the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've been purified, you purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, then love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass 
and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. But as Billy Graham used to say, that's not in the Bible, but I just said that. He used to say all the time, remember? He said, the grass withers and the flowers may fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. One of his favorite verses. Now this is the word that was preached to you. Now that ends chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Now, chapter 2 starts with one word. It's a little word we're familiar with. It's called therefore. Now, whenever you see that therefore, what are you supposed to do? You add, no, that's not. You've got to ask what it's there for. I'm from Kentucky. We don't, it's not complicated. What's it there for? He goes on to say as he starts this chapter, therefore, in other words, based on everything he's already said up to this point in chapter 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know what Mark Twain said one time? He's not quoted much in the Bible. Don't hear much out of old Mark. But he, he said some of the most amazing things. He said one time, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in the scripture which trouble me the most are those which I understand quite well. Isn't that profound? So what I would say to you is maybe not quite that profound. If you really want everyday holiness, if you want to have everyday hope, work on the holiness first. And the hope will come right after that. Everyday holiness leads to everyday hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in and among us through Scripture. And I would pray, Father, that we would all come to a greater affection for your word so that we would read it more, embrace its teaching, apply it, ask ourselves and ask you what best we can learn from the passages that we're reading. And Lord, it's not just so we'll be smarter or more holy in that sense, but it's so we'll just get to know you better. For the more we know who you are and what you feel and think. Scripture tells us your mind, your emotions. It tells us your, as you look ahead and you see things we cannot see, we know what to anticipate. And Lord, we will know how to live in a world that's just not a good place anymore. Sin has done so much damage. And sin has done a lot of damage to some of us as well. So, Father, help us step forward now a little uh, more willingly. If we really want this hope that we're talking about, help us be willing to do the hard stuff and to ask for your strength. As we put our will, our effort into it, Lord, you come alongside and show us what we need to do. You become the one that is the one that lives in us. It's no longer we who live, but it's you who live through your people. Wouldn't it be great, Lord, if that could be said about our congregation? And that's our prayer as we go forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.